Valentine's Time Day has come and passed, but it's always something you can count on. Danny Mac, Jay Prue, Beyond the Bounce Podcast. Let's go, baby. Hey, this week on this podcast, we have Latroy Farrell on. He's going to talk about being a winner at every level, talk about some of the big things he's doing in the city of Chicago. The Louisville native also talks about being a winner at every level of basketball he has competed. And on top of that, he's going to talk about when he was a young fella coaching grown men in the pros. What's not to love about this episode? Beyond the bounce, baby. Let's go. Keep the political commentary to yourself. Or, or, or as someone once said, shut up and dribble. Everyone, welcome to the Beyond the Bounce podcast. It's your host, Jay Pruitt. Got Danny Mack, executive producer, doing his thing. Hey, today we got a very special guest. I know I say that about every guest, but this is a guest that I lived with for a year, lived with, lived around, followed, mimicked, uh, wanted to do the things he did skill-wise because he was a he was a real basketball player. Uh, one of the one of the true point guards that I actually played with in college over the years. It's been a lot, but this guy right here could do it all. He's a living testament that it don't matter what level you play at. If you're good, they will come find you because my brother played on at three different levels. Uh, <laughs> Latroy Farrell, coach, how's it going? Thanks for joining us. Oh, man, thank you, brother. Thanks for the, the, the welcoming intro. It's a pleasure to be here with Jay Pruitt. Really, really, really good. Good past memories we done had, brother. Making, making, making more memories down the road, but I'm um, honored to be here, brother. So Cabana Boy for Life or what? Cabana Boy for Life. <laughs> I, I tell those stories uh, to people. And, you know, it's, it's and when you paint that picture of, you know, having your own like apartment with and, and the cabanas living with everybody, else, man, it was, it was a special environment with some special people. Man, I'm so glad to join you. So one of the most successful recent coaches in Chicago boys basketball, how many championships you got? Well, I've, I've, I've won four four conference championships. Um, I've won four co- coaching years and coordinating with that. Uh, I just took on an up-and-coming program at, at South Shore International. Uh, we won 19 games last year, doing well. Got got a lot of a lot of good things on the horizon. You know, with the with the hiccup now, uh, you know, guys have missed a a year of you know that development, skill development. But everybody's playing on the same plan playing field but i'm excited about it i think we we do have a bright future at at south shore coming up so as a former all-american let me say this again a former all-american how do you coach these guys at this age because i'm in the gym with some of these college guys and i'm like what you mean you can't come off the pick and roll give me the ball (laughs) yeah well you know what i i think as a as as i've gotten older it's actually gotten a little bit easier, right? When I, when I was younger and I could still do some moves, I, I, I commonly made that mistake of actually inserting what I would have done or what I could have done. And since I've gotten older and, of course, far from moved, removed from, uh, uh, you know, that quick first step or, or taking somebody off the dribble and going up and under and all those those moves, it's allowed me to take myself out of it, which allows me to just take them where they're at 
and having a philosophy built on developing fundamentals, I think has really allowed me to have success with various talent and skill levels. Uh, because if you get the fundamentals down and, and you just build from there, whether you're uh, a talented guy, one of the top coming out of grammar school, or if you're a guy that was overlooked, if you break it down and develop their fundamentals, it'll make the better, the best players better. And it allowed the, the, the players that are a little bit behind to actually develop and depending on their work ethic, in many cases, surpass those guys. So uh, I think, I think now that I've been, I'm older now, I, it's allowed me to take myself out of it, which allows me to focus more on those fundamentals, which has led to a lot of success. So at a young age, you had, I mean, you be, you're successful now in whatever you do, but you had to be one of the youngest professional coaches in basketball. How, how did you come <laughs> about that? Well, you know, it, it was, you know, you count your blessings, right? You say you're fortunate and, and, and things lead you down a certain path. I, I'll kind of go back. Uh, one of the things when I was in high school and, and growing up in Louisville, Kentucky, my, my high school coach wasn't a, normal high school coach he he actually was on the staff at the university of dayton um so from that time he he always instilled on us a, a higher level of thinking with the game so he used to talk to me all the time and i think it was a precursor that i was always going to be a coach i loved the game and he knew i i loved the game and and, and i love to think about the game so he kind of took me under his wing, taught me a lot of things. We would have conversations away from just the normal two and a half hour practice in which he kind of broke some things down with his film and, and all that kind of stuff uh, and even life situations. So I think they kind of set me on the path. But when I, when I got to college, I was very fortunate. Uh, one of the all time winningest coaches in the CBA, uh, his name is Chris Dalio. Chris Dalio was actually my head coach at my NAI school where we went to the final four and almost won the national championship. Well, he from there went and took the head coaching job at the Rockford lightning. And, and for some of you guys that might be a little bit younger, the CBA used to be the D league. There was no D league. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Was there, not. there was no D league. So when you had, the CBA, the CBA was the minor league system in which the pros got the 10 day contracts and, and all those guys that were going up and down, they were going to the CBA back up to the NBA. So that's where he was coaching. And like I said, he had a lot of success, learned his system as a player. So he allowed me after I graduated from Kentucky Wesleyan to come on to his staff. And that was quite an experience. I, I mean, not everybody knows, but a guy by the name of Ronnie Fields, who's a Chicago legend. I know Ronnie. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I had the pleasure I, of Our age group knows Ronnie. <laughs> Ronnie was a guy, like, and I put it in perspective, Kobe Bryant, the year he came out, was the number one player in the country, and Ronnie Fields was number two. Yep. And and, and if it hadn't been for a a, 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 a car accident while he was, you know, in, in DePaul, that he, he would have been there as well. But you're talking about off the chart athletic ability and could actually at this point in his career, you know, could play the game. Um, so those guys like that, I had guys like Stace Bozeman that, that played with uh, Hakeem and won a championship. Uh, Antoine Walker that played in Miami, like those guy Rucker that played at, at, at 
at the University of Iowa, had a great professional career overseas. So these are the guys that, that I came in with. And because I played for the coach, he allowed me to hit the ground running. So not only was I that young coach that had to jump in the drills still because I could still move and play, but he allowed me to run a lot of the drills because I was so familiar and, and lead practice sessions. So I was very thankful for that. And, and, and so, yeah. so when you, you're talking about that experience with those guys, how, how is it like coaching those guys? And those guys are y'all the same age. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and those situations, they were actually older than me. And that's actually going to set up for, for like what you asked me about being one of the youngest coaches that was in professional basketball at the time. When I walked into there, all of those guys, Teddy Dupay, Carson Cunningham, all these guys that I was coaching, they were, they were older than me uh, coming right out of, out, out of college. <laughs> and, and, and it did create a unique experience uh, but I, I do credit Chris Dalio by, you know, communicating me certain things to expect, what not to expect, and 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 kind of set myself up for success with dealing with them. There was a couple things that that I had that they were aware of. Is first of all, I played for this coach, and gotcha. a, another another dynamic in which Chris Dalio set me up. I always kept the la- the line really clear with with coach player relationship. I was. Even though I was younger, you you didn't see me interact as as if I was a player. I was always a coach, right? Gotcha. Even, even though there would been there'd been times where I had seen them out and about throughout the the town of Rockford, which is not very big, and I I I I, I took heed to what coach told me, and I actually left and and went my own separate ways to leave that environment because I never because I was so young, I knew that that was a danger. With, with kind of blurring those lines. That's crazy, yeah. man. That's crazy. Yeah, it really was. So he kind of set me up for success. And then with the fact that I could still play a little bit, as you know, being around the game, when you can play a little bit still, and I was right out of college, uh, you play, you get a little bit more respect, right? When you can still play right. a little bit, you knew the, I knew the system, coach showed me respect, gave me a voice, and that kind of set up for that, that, that experience, uh, which I'm grateful for. And I, I know what you still mean by playing, but you still can play because, you know, at the level that I've been blessed to coach, we always have a men's yep. team. Hey, I always pick the weakest person on the men's <laughs> team to give buckets. That's that's how I get instant respect. If you're the 12th or 13th man on that men's yep. team, hey, coach coming for you. I know you can't guard me. <laughs> and, 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 and that's resounding. With, now, now the ladies, when you talk, they're listening a little bit, a little bit more astutely, right? Like, cause they, like, coach knows what he's talking about. He can still play a little bit, right? So, yeah, absolutely, that carries some weight. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just taking advantage on that 12, 13 man. The, the, <laughs> probably the walk on or the alumni guy, but you know, coach gonna give you buckets hey, in front of your team. He got a jersey, brother. All fair. <laughs> he has a jersey. <laughs> so let me ask you about yep. this. Tell, I, I want people to hear your experience. Yes. Because we're in a we're in a in a time period mm-hmm. where kids think, oh, it's D one a bust. It's D one mm-hmm. a bust. Hey, you were successful at junior college. Yeah. Might have not yes. been as successful if you wanted to, but you still were successful because we were a nationally ranked yes. team. Yes. You left and went to a powerhouse <laughs> division yep. too. Like beating people down by yes. 30. Yes. And then you had a grad school year and you was an NAIA All American. Yep. What's the difference between the levels? Well, I well, first of all, uh, I, I was fortunate. I, I did a lot of winning in college. 
<laughs> right? Like, yeah. I, I, and I tell you, winning the level uh, in some people's mind, it, it you know, it gets put there by other people, right? Whether it's coaches or parents or whatnot. But I tell you, ain't nothing like winning, right? So when, <laughs> yep. when, 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 whether it's taking a charge to get a win or getting 30 to get a win, ain't nothing like winning, right? So uh, in, in, in junior college, exactly where we met, we were nationally ranked, you know, conference coach right. champions, right? And and then went on to, to two other places and won championships there, right? So on the right. season, I won, I won 29 games for each one of my playing seasons. And, and that's, a <laughs> lot, that's a lot of winning. So I, I, yes. I, I got a lot of enjoyment out of it. And I got, I built relationships that will last me uh, a lifetime. So those things are actually more important than playing division one solely if you're good enough to play division one and go out and have a great experience by all means you should do that but if you're gonna sit and not get an enjoyable experience just to say you were there i would recommend finding a level that's more suitable to your talent skills and ability Hey, I'm about to get my my my, my southern preaching, brother. Hey, <laughs> let me let me let me say, hey man, hey, say that one more exactly, time. Because these people out having here enjoyment, doing what you do, is 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 worth that that sacrifice of a of a level. And let's let's keep it honest, right? When you talk about Division One, you talk about Division One. I, I, I University of San Francisco, which is a quality program. How many times do you see them on TV? Yeah, I see yeah, them this year. Yeah, you saw them on TV. Right, you 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 right. got to stay up late if you over here because it's a West Coast game, <laughs> right? So if you yeah. here, so you you're sacrificing the enjoyment that you might have overlooked to go out there and 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 play somewhere, be part of something, and not be genuinely happy. I, I think you should just keep your op options open, and and if you're good enough to play Division One, they're gonna find you. So. It's it's not one of those situations where you're going to go kick down their door, walk on their campus, and play at a major Division One school. If you're not a preferred walk on uh, from that state, it's highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Thank you for for explaining that. They they need to hear that. So going back to our JUCO yep. days, I, I I talk about it. I reminisce. It was some of the best times in yep. my life. Uh, like you say, nationally ranked team two years in a row. The year you were there, you and I were there together. We were still yep. nationally ranked. Can you tell people about the level of athletes that we played? Oh, hey, for example, for example, we had a guy on our team. I'm not gonna call his name. I'm gonna mm -hmm. let you figure it out. We had a guy on our team. Couldn't dribble with his right hand. <laughs> could shoot with his left hand. Got a D1 offer to Providence and said, I don't want to play basketball. I'm going to go play football. And got drafted <laughs> to hey, the NFL. Hey, Sweet hey, was a, hey, and, you know, it was, it was funny, the level of talent that was in that gym. And, and, and just to think, every time we walked into someone else's gym, they had those guys too. <laughs> yep. as, as good as we were, we were in a conference where that guy went D1. That guy made it to the NBA. That guy was an All-American. Like, we literally, night in, night out. Hey, 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 Troy. Guys. That that guy, that guy dunked on Frick. <laughs> he gonna get mad at me. You remember Ronald Dupree dunked on Frick? <laughs> oh, that was, that was, that was, and just think, the person you just mentioned in Frick 
we was in a locker room talking to Michelle Obama's brother, who was the head coach at the University of Oregon at that time that was coming to see for it. And Mike yes, Davis, remember? I mean, Indiana, everybody. So we talking about a guy who dunked on the guy <laughs> that all of these guys are coming to see. <laughs> yeah, I remember. And then you had the the he had the most the, the smallest. I'm about to clap on him. He had the smallest <laughs> legs ever, but was dropping. Oh you man, off. he would explode. Fred, Fred Hetty McGinnis. <laughs> oh, oh my god, yeah, Fred. <laughs> and he would let it go. Cause this he would, he let, would it let it go. He would get hot and let it go. And him and Travis would get hot and let it go. And 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 brother, they kill throw it to you on the wing, and you better look out. Here come Pruitt. Hey, I, all I, I just wanted to dump, baby. That's all I wanted to do. I just, hey, I knew my role and I knew it well because the man told me, don't shoot the ball. I'm going to take you out the look, game. But, so. but, and, and we were coached <laughs> by, by a guy that, that has his own street that played in the NBA in John Douglas. So. You remember, and, and, and was still back then, remember he would come in the gym oh, and still man. dunk. Hey, we were in the gym one day. I'll tell you a quick, a quick story about. Me and Coach, I was in the gym just shooting around, and you know, I was a I was a freshman straight out of high school, and I'd never forget he walked up to me and got in the defensive stance, and and you know, I thought it was just we go go through the motion. I shot the jump shot, man. My, I had to go get my ball from half court. He walked off the he walked off the court. We, we didn't do nothing like that again. He he felt it. And, and see, he, <laughs> and he did y'all like that. He just looked at me and said, "Hey, man, you ain't ready. I didn't watch you your whole career. Hey, just get out here and play some, play some defense. defense. You know." Yeah. Play some defense. But, hey, I, I'm kind of looked. So I found some tapes. I'm going I'm to make some DVDs. Hey, I don't think I've never been looked off so much in my life, but Travis looked me off oh, every yeah. time. Okay. He, he, could do, he could do that. And, you know, he did that on the last shot in the in the conference tournament. I think it was to Fred. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he, but, the, hey, but look, that's what separates yep. good from great. Hey, I, I'm going to put it on my uh, back. And no, take it. Under, under no circumstances was he going to pass that ball. He was like, this is my team, yep. it's my year, and I'm putting it up. Yeah, and that's how you and that's what you know, you can't teach that. Hey, if you go go out, go out on your Absolutely. own terms. I I I I, so, I agree with that, man. You, you there's a difference, difference, toughness level that when someone is not afraid to fail, right? Like, and that's that's something that I, I work with my young guys a, a lot with now, is that going as hard as you can go. And don't worry about whether you get dunked on or you get crossed over. Or if you can do that and just go as hard as you can, then you can sleep at night. A Tupac, I tell him a, a quote from Tupac all the time. I was like, you know, a soldier dies a, a, a thousand, you know, a soldier dies one day, a coward dies a thousand deaths, right? So you, at the yep. end of the day, if you don't go as hard as you can and you fail, then you know that you defeated yourself. You really relive that moment and relive that moment. But, but if you go as hard as you can, you'll be able to sleep at night. And like I tell these players, and like you just said, man, winning cures everything. You've yeah. done a lot of winning. So as a player, I tell my kids all the time, I, I really don't know what it feels exactly. like to lose. I never, nope. I never lost. And you know, people exaggerate with it, but I never, we, you and I nope. never lost. We came from programs where, I, you remember when we lost that first game and uh, we played Aquinas and Larry yep. ate us up? And you remember me and Tweet, you yep. know, we were freshmen. You knew, you me, you yep. were older than us. Tweet was older than me, but I'm a straight 17-year-old yep. freshman. You remember, I'm like, oh, it's a game. We lost. You know, me and Tweet laughing and joking. You remember Douglas uh, hemmed us up before we got on that bus talking about, hey, we'll we do don't that do crap that. here. We'll stop that. Losing is never going to be accepted. 
and you better not be laughing about it. Like he 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 yeah. went in on yeah. us and never never experienced that again. And I try to put to my players, hey, you you lose a game, what what you got to talk yeah. about? You lost. Yeah. But check this out, T. Growing up in Louisville, Kentucky, I had the pleasure of playing my senior year yeah. at Kentucky State down the Absolutely. street from your home. Hey, I never experienced Louisville because I had never really been no more than okay. to the Derby or the the fireworks okay. show in May. But hey, them cats in Louisville, man, they are, they 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 oh, something yeah. else, man. Absolutely, and more. Like people think that it's small and it's slow. Hey, ain't nothing small no, and slow not, about not Louisville. Not at all. Not at all. I mean, it's a the the talent. That, that comes through Louisville is, 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 it is remarkable, right? Um, like, like Rondo right now is doing really well. And, you know, he's in the twilight of his career, but if you understand his toughness, that's kind of what you get. When you go, when, when you go Man. to Louisville and you see those guys play and, and I, I, I don't know, I kind of grew up in an era where we grew up in the park still, right? Now, people are like, I don't hoop outside. What is it? Yeah. Dust Bowl, baby. I grew up Dust in the Bowl. Dust Bowl where the announcer would, it was just like Rucker Park, right? So you played outside, right. it was tough, it was rumble, whoever was out there, you was competing as hard as you can compete, and names didn't mean nothing. It was a different level of toughness, and 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 that's what you get when you're talking about Louisville basketball. I remember my first time going to the Dust Bowl. I had transferred from Mississippi Valley State to Kentucky State. And, you know, Winston Bennon had introduced us to the the Dust Bowl and assistant coach yep. Thomas Patterson. Hey, them jokers was waiting on me. Hey, you the D1 transfer? <laughs> lace hey, lace up. up. I'm like, damn, I just got here. You know what I mean? Well, you know, hey, and it ain't no, no backing down. You know, like the day kid run back down. No, you either, you, you earn respect. You do. You earn respect. And I, I I remember the first high school I went to was Pleasure Ridge Park, which was was actually one of the nationally ranked programs in in, in the city of Louisville. And uh, I never forget when I walked in, we, there was a senior guard there. His name was Charlie Taylor. He played for the University of Louisville. They had a couple of All-Americans, Leron Mims, Willie Ivory, all these guys that, you know, uh, Daniel Macklin had just left. He was a burger boy. And, you know, you're talking about a high level of basketball and people's names. People's reputation meant absolutely nothing when you stepped on the court. Nothing. That's it. And so, look, so transitioning from Louisville, man, you in Chicago, yeah. man. Yeah. Like, like you know, like like people people in Chicago, we see the news, you know, they shooting <laughs> every day. They, how do you keep, you know, it's, it's real life. It's real life stuff. The stuff you see on TV, that's what's happening every yeah, day in Chicago. Absolutely. How do you keep those young men away from that? How well, do you do it? I think that in in coordination with the violence in Chicago, uh, it's also the basketball mecca, right? Like, like when you 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 look at number one draft picks, like you looking at Anthony Davis, you looking at uh, you know Derrick Rose. You you can't forget about Kevin Garnett. You look it up and down. So the the NBA rosters, right? Hey, Pat, Pat Bell, like, hey, Isaiah from, Thomas, from, from from Ruta to the two, the Chicago basketball has been prevalent uh, throughout the NBA and and Division One. You look right now, you look at Duke roster, you got a couple Chicago boys. Like it's it's something here that it used to be called the basketball pass, right? Like like where you even if you were in the most horrendous conditions and, and, and living in the poorest areas, 
if you had that basketball in your hand or if you were focused on basketball, the city respected that. Now, the lines have gotten a little blurred here recently, but the reality is from, from five years old, six years old, these kids have invested themselves in this game, right? There's, there's, when you talk about the high, top level of Chicago basketball, these kids are focused, vetted, and this is what they do. So when, when, when you walk into a gym and you're in the position in a role that I'm in uh, as the coach, uh, there's some expectations, right? Like they've been coached their whole life. Everybody's an expert. Everybody's been an expert. Um, but, you know, through your knowledge base, right, and, and how you get them to focus and understanding some of the things that we can talk about later with, intrinsic and extrinsic motivation right is is something that i'm also trained in i also have my master's in psychology so 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 go so go a little bit in, into that once you get finished with this because that's the first time someone's been on there that actually said that what is it intrinsic and yeah extrinsic? extrinsic so so okay my intrinsic motivation is things that's deep inside of me that spark my my motivation that want me to be successful because of what's deep down inside of me that's intrinsic right so extrinsic right. motivation is something that i think from a basketball and a sports uh coaching standpoint has been used in a lot of ways um like get on the line y'all don't want to play hard today you got to do this you got to do that oh you didn't do this so now this is the consequence whether it's hey let's win this championship to win the trophy right those are all x extrinsic motivators right whether if you're a parent gotcha. sitting on the sideline and you don't even really love basketball but your dad is trying to relive his 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 dreams through you and he's yelling and he's pushing yeah you might do those things but the motivation is an extrinsic factor right which is your father got you now i think it's it's key when when you get to a point where you you kind of learn them because then what you're looking for is not to rely on the extrinsic motivation, but more so the intrinsic motivation, right? So if you can find gotcha. what motivates a person, whether, you know, even as a young man, it might be something small like status in, in the school building, right? It might be something as my release from, from the things that I'm dealing with at home, or I love you, coach. And I just want to, I just want to make you proud, and that makes me feel better about myself, right? So those intrinsic motivating factors are a lot stronger than those extrinsic motiva motivating factors. So if you can find those, you won't have to work as hard to get a kid to reach his potential. And I think that's the most important. So what do what do you do to help define those? How how do you? Because it's, it's different totally for every different. person, right? So how much time does it take for you to actually well, identify I, I, that? I think uh, one of the big things that you have to incorporate in your program is that understanding that individuals, right, even though it's part of a team, the individuals, their psychological um, well-being is important, right? Like you can't right. treat the guy on the end of the bench like he doesn't matter because if you do that the end of the day you don't realize that that guy at the end of the bench is your best player's best friend right 
Gotcha. Yeah, Never so thought about it like that. Yep. Teams are in practice. They walk in classrooms together. They do all these things through life together when you're not even there. And if you treat him a certain kind of way, you have to understand that it's going to impact your best player and your team dynamics, right? So to discover those intrinsic motivators, right, you need to sit them down and you need to know them. You have to ask them. You have to set goals with them. But you can't set their goals for them. You have to spark the conversation and let them discover their own. So if I can't go in there and be like, hey, I need you to get 20 and 10 every night. That's the goal yeah. I'm setting for you. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's that's not that's not out of the realm of possibility. But that's gonna come after okay. you get beyond a certain point. Right. Like you're not going to say this person go come in and get 20 and 10 if you haven't had, uh, already built a relationship and, and seen this person work and develop this person. Right. You have those expectations as a coach and you communicated that that's that could be a great motivating factor. Right. With with making a person gotcha. feel like they can actually run through that brick wall, even though they, we know that that wall ain't going to give. But we we like making a person, <laughs> giving them that motivation and giving that extra push. That's good. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. But like we, what I'm talking about is when you sit down with that person and you ask them how their day is. So it's, it's not gotcha. how you figure it out or when you figure it out. It's a process of actually caring about that individual. Once you care about that individual, you already know that person has issues outside the building or he's he, he not having a good day because you know how he looks uh, or his body language. So or he is or her. You get to know them people. And then as you communicate and set those goals, you'll discover those intrinsic motivators. So with, with one of the key things that you just said is you got to get to know that person. You got to get to know where they're at. So. This has been a been a mm -hmm. year unlike any other with the Black Lives yep. Matter movement, the uh, insurrection yep. at the Capitol. Um, yep. You know, we could go COVID, you know. So with that being said, when you said you got to get to know a player, you got to, that player yep. has to know you care about them. Do you think a lot of coaches use this Black Lives, this Black Lives Matter movement to to actually learn about their players or they used it like, Oh, well, everyone else is doing it. So I have to do it too, to make it look like I care uh, too. I, I think it's an individual basis. I don't think there's, there can be a coverall with that response as far as who do I think that they're trying to do. I think that they're at a point where they have no choice. Like they have, have no choice. choice. That's a like good there's, point. There's not a coach at a, a major division one college or even a division two college that can outlive that black mark on their reputation, especially when you're talking about the recruiting game, right? Like you're recruiting and you're dealing with, with the predominantly at the higher levels, uh, you're, you're dealing with black athletes and that, that kind of a mark on your reputation will not bode well with your career. So I think they don't have a choice. I think some of it is really, really genuine, uh, but like I said, I can't say it's disingenuous, but I know they don't have a choice. They don't have a choice. That's the, and that's the first good, I mean, that's a, the first response that we were, I have heard that's like, they didn't have a choice yep. to do it. Even if they did not want to do it, yep. they, they, they had, had to, to do it, it. For, for, their, for their livelihood. Now, they, they might really care and want to be part of a movement, right? I, I think the University of Texas 
uh, coach came out and he, and he said that the inequalities are unacceptable. You guys come and fill the stadium every day, every every Saturday, and 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 you put a hundred thousand in the stadium and you cheer them on, and you need to start hiring them when they leave, right? Because that's the reality. And that's, that's a good that's point. We're talking about sharing some economic equity, right? So if if I'm playing at these universities, and and that's one of the biggest, uh, I think missed opportunities that comes from playing college athletics that I don't think enough emphasis is put forth. A student athlete comes to your college or university and they're, 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 they're in practice. They're working hard. They're, they're eating meals. They're gaining weight for you. They're in the way they're doing this skill development and doing all this for this university, but they, they never get the social capital out of it. Right. So normally mm. as, as a black black former athlete i can say you gravitate towards your own and i think it's a societal norm like you go to a cafeteria you got 15 black kids at one lunch table right you got you got, you got the baseball right. team at their lunch table right people kind of gravitate towards their own and a lot of times that's divvied up by race when you when you when you're talking about society because people are comfortable with people who look like them and talk like them right so you got all of this going on at this university and you have all these games and your practices but the whole reason why these student athletes are there they're missing out on because everybody else when they meet the 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 student the 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 president of the university or the faculty or staff the faculty and staff are coming to meet these athletes and they're introducing themselves and they're like, hey, we're going to have a great season. But the reality is, and I think what the university's responsibility needs to be is when you put these student athletes in these rooms with these business owners and faculty members, you need to make sure that they get internships on the summer when they're up here working for that sport. You you need to make sure right. that they understand that social capital is how they're going to live the rest of their life. Because once they develop a relationship with someone, that person is going to connect with them. They might not work for that person. They might do business with that person, right? Like So the social capital aspect, hmm. I think, is what's lost with student ab with most student athletes, and, and it affects Black student athletes to a higher degree. And one of the biggest... Uh, you know, points I'd like to make is like, if you take a white man with a high school degree, a high school diploma, he makes on the, across, across the, uh, this country, he makes 14.3% more than a black man with a college degree. Why is, why is that? Ooh, now you why spitting, is that? Boy. that that's spitting. just because his <laughs> uncle has equity and he can hire him in the tire shop. Right? So, he knows someone, his social capital far exceeds the money and the dollars that's worth for that college degree. He has social capital and his people have equity so that they can make sure that he lives a good life and he can sustain a family and things like that. Where you got young brothers and sisters coming out of high school, I mean, coming out of college with a college degree and they can't get a job interview. They didn't get an internship while I was there, right? So you've done all these great things athletically, but you're not reaping the benefits that you should be reaping because the people with social equity, again, going back to the point where you're comfortable around people like you, they're not comfortable around people like you. So they're hiring people that look like them. And that is a, a, a something that is generational.
because we don't own those businesses because we weren't allowed to own those businesses. So we can't hire our own because we don't own our own. That's right, man. Hey, man, you, you spitting today. I'm, I'm glad you, man, you coming on here and you ain't holding back. But there's some knowledge that that people need to hear because, you know, I have an audience on the West Coast, Midwest, back in the South. And, and this is, you know, this is how the kids yeah. say it now. No cap. Yeah. This is information with no cap. Hey, man, when you work on that yeah. college campus, and, man, and you learn all the terms. brother, <laughs> is that it's the same way for black people in this country everywhere you go. So when, when you look at the system as a whole, right, it's very few people that actually get out of the, the black community that are not entertainers, whether it's musician or whether that's sports, right? Most of us get opportunities to get out of the hood because of those things. That's not, that's not too, too far-fetched from when, when it was people coming out in the 50s and 60s that was singing, and that's how they got to be, you know, at Sam Cooke and, and entertainers. It was all about entertainment. It's funny you said Sam Cooke because oh, yeah. I watched that. What is yeah. it, One Night in Miami? Yeah, I watched that. I just finished it up last night, and it's, it's interesting. You said Sam Cooke, and, and that's a good movie if you all haven't seen it about. Yeah, But I, we were talking on the phone, so tell me, well, tell me right what, you, now, what you're doing now. We're actually putting together a co cohort of coaches, and we're kind of really breaking it down. Uh, you know, I, I live in Chicago. I've, I've worked in Chicago. I've been here 20 years almost now, and the, the reality is, is, is the black community is struggling, right? And, and I live in Chicago, but I, I still go home to Louisville. And I, I remember I, go, I drove past my, my, my Salvation Army where I grew up, right, on 32nd and Greenwood, where I learned a lot of life lessons and ran up and down the street. And, you know, I played sports all day. And, and the, the neighborhood and the community it was always poor. But now it's to another level. Right. It is a I think the Salvation Army is closed. Uh, the weeds coming through the concrete, just a lifeless situation and very similar. You know, some of the communities here in Chicago. And I, I think that some of the skills that coaches possess, I think, could be the moving force to revitalizing our community. Uh, so I've been talking to some coaches and we, we really trying to put some things together as I'm. I'm a certified life coach and a lot of the skills from life coaching and then coaching in sports, they, they transition perfectly, right? Like life coaches, they motivate, they inspire, they hold accountable, right? Like if you're, if you're with a client and, and they set this goal, when they get on and they're communicating with you, you're holding them accountable, just like coaches hold their, their players accountable, right? So the skill set is very similar and with a, a few tweaks you can actually learn to help that person in life right so I, I i believe that the coaches that we have teaching sports and, and coaching sports uh, as well as counselors and things like that uh we need to start life coaching right coaching people through life and helping them manage these situations and find their motivation and actually reach for those goals because there's a lot of people that feel depressed. There's a lot of people that don't see a way out. 
And the way you get out and the way you find those things that you want to do is one step at a time by setting those goals, achieving one goal at a time. And, and, and then eventually your dreams come true. I really firmly believe that. And throughout my life and, and, and all my interactions, I look back and on people who've been successful, they've all had coaches play a vital part in their life. These coaches that are successful in these realms of sports could be successful in our communities. So how do you how did you go about putting this team well, of coaches together you know, be, in, in being Chicago? Being a coach for as long as I've, I've, I've been now, you know, I have a pretty good uh, cohort of people that I have a good relationship with, right? So uh, one of the things that that really drives me now, like being in the game as much as I am, is that I need to set my kids up for success after they play for me, right? If if Hey, you got to set them the up for life beyond absolutely. the bounce. Look, I got to throw that plug in there. <laughs> and in doing that, it it took it took me down a whole nother street of of more of a holistic interaction with them, right? Teaching them life life skills, and and those are the same things that the coaches that I call my friends and that I've interacted with, they believe the same thing. So as we're talking, and we're like, look, man we can reach a broader, a broader uh, stable of people than just our teams, right? So coaching people to have success is what we're really trying to focus on and, and get up and running so we can try to try to help the South and the West sides of Chicago. Well, man, I, I applaud you on doing that because so many times, you know, we as men of color, minorities, black men, we're, we're, we're I remember my grandmother describing mm-hmm. it back in the day as the crab in the bucket syndrome. Yep. You know, when one get up, we try to pull the other one down. And, you know, you can still see that exists today in some communities and some, some circles. But when you hear about men of color, black men doing that to help each other out and coming together, especially in the time yep. of now and in the city of Chicago, yeah. you know, that, that, that's big. That's, that's big because, you know, these kids need someone to look up to. They need someone to follow. They need someone to lead. And a lot yes. of the times they're just looking yes. for someone yep. to spend Absolutely. time with them and volunteer. Absolutely. And I, let, let me let me throw this one at you because I, I had a young coach uh, that, that you okay. know, I, I try to prepare every coach that works for me, that's on my staff, uh, in a way that one day they're going to lead their own program. Right. So whatever their goals, they can want to be my assistant for 20 years if they want. But I want them to have the tools necessary that I feel really makes a good coach. And I, I posed the question to one of my freshman coaches at the time, a few years back. I'm not going to mention his name. And he was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to go over here. You know, they got a chance to win a state championship, this and that. And I, I said, hey, brother, that's. I want you to reach wherever you can reach, whatever your goals are, I want you to obtain them. And I posed the question to him in that moment. I was like, could you tell me the last three people, last three teams that won the NCAA championship? And he just looked at me. I said, "Let tell me the last three teams that won the NCAA championship. I said, now, I'm going to stop you there. Because I probably can't do it. And we're basketball guys. I was like, now keep in mind, we're basketball people. So 
if those people, those individuals are winning the championship on the highest level, how many people you think is going to win, remember who won the, the two-way state championship in the university? I mean, in the state of Illinois. I mean, like, I, I, that, that was a serious question. I said, so who won the 3A state championship in Illinois last year? Who won the 4A? Okay, the year before. Okay, my point is, if you help these young men achieve something larger in life and help them achieve their goals, it means a lot more than winning a state championship. There you go. Helping kids, that's the business yep. we in as coach. Many people say shut up and dribble, but we do a lot more than just shut up and dribble. Yep. We 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 when you're a coach, you're a father, you're a teacher, you're a mentor, <laughs> you're a bus driver, you're after home take practice driver, you'll give me some lunch money, coach driver. You know, hey, not saying that I do that at the level I am at, because you know we got some people that love to snitch on you stuff. But but no, you, you know right. you you, you know, got such a large role. <laughs> And 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 shaping people, shaping these young people, whether it's the young ladies or the young men, that a lot of them come from broken situations, and and we and we definitely help with that process so that we can help them heal and and get to the level that they want to go to college and they want to be successful, and they look at you uh, as a lot more than a basketball coach. Well, man, you have showed, dropped some jewels today. I'm thankful that you found the time to come on and we could make this work because I knew you was going to have a lot of valuable information that Absolutely. people needed to hear. Absolutely. And I knew you wasn't going to hold back. So we usually end this podcast yep. with, you know, in our community, when you <laughs> invite someone to your barbecue, you mm -hmm. are inviting them to be your, their family. You just don't invite Absolutely one, not. You just don't invite people to your home where yep. you live at, unless unless they're family. But two, if you're having a barbecue and you like, come on, you know my barbecue, family. you know you're family. So since this this uh COVID <laughs> been happening, you know I'm on Twitter. I be looking. I've seen a lot of people inviting people to barbecues just because they didn't tweeted something for the for the community or tweeted something righteous. No, that don't get you no no pass to my barbecue. <laughs> you know, you know, because I, I got to see if it's real, if it got some some substance to it. So let yep. me ask you this. You already know. I already been to your yep. barbecue. Now you about to come to my barbecue. So I need to know. We break it down mm -hmm. like this. I asked for two dishes and a drink. So what what meat dish are you I'm bringing, bringing to my chicken. barbecue? Man, are you bringing I'm, it Louisville bringing, style, bringing, Kentucky yeah, style, Louisiana? I mean, barbecue chicken. Where you gonna need about three napkins. <laughs> I like that. I like that. So what what side oh, dish are you bringing? You know what? You know I love my sides. Every, now, barbecue you, you... ain't a barbecue without no sweet baked beans, man. And and I I love a lot of a little bit of this, a little bit of that, but I love my sweet baked beans with the pork in it. I don't really eat pork, but I gotta have it in my baked beans when it's cooked. So. What kind of, so look, we're going to get to this. I know you got the red cup over there, but you know, we got, you a father of four? I, I am am I right? Four. four and I'm a, <laughs> you a father of four? I'm a father of four. You know, we got to have that kitty oh, table man, set up. What, 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 what the kids go drink? What we going to get hey, to? Red Kool-Aid. Well, okay. Look, what kind? I, I, look, I don't even allow Kool-Aid. Look, I'm in the house too much, but at the barbecue, they go get red Kool-Aid with the with, with 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 a lot of sugar in it. 
So what what oh, you man, got in that it, red it, cup? Because I'm trying to drink what you drink. Day it is. So we gonna say about oh, five well, thirty six o'clock when the sun going be down. Uh, some like uh, Kentucky Barrel whiskey, uh, what, you know, Jameson or something along those lines. If it the sun went down. <laughs> yep. So let me ask you this: You being from Kentucky, oh, you see yep. those shows, Moonshine and all that, Moon, the Moonshine, Moonshine shows. Real. How, how real is that? Is that real? It, oh. It, like, I know in like, Alabama, it's really real. <laughs> and like, I, I checked the refrigerator, and my stepfather, right, he got these bottles and he got his hooch, right? Like, he, he look, <laughs> he got his. Hey, what they call it? What they call you, it? You Co- coach. Before you open any bottle, <laughs> hooch <laughs> without a label on it. <laughs> you look, he he keep his hooch, and uh, you got to be careful because you know it'll be a short night. <laughs> that that white lady. That, that white lightning boy, that's what they call it. That white, hey, my, hey, man, I don't know how people drink it. It tastes you, like you got to be a feeling sometimes. a certain like, kind of way to touch that stuff. I, I, I ain't done it but a few times, and I'm okay without it. I, well, I don't blame you, but man, <laughs> I want to thank you for coming on. Your family, anytime you want, you got a platform. I'm gonna catch you. I'm in Chicago until this yeah. snow break, and then I'm gonna probably hit back to the West Coast. But I hope to get up with you and the fam yep. again. And man, I, I I love you like a brother, man. And I'm oh, I'm, I'm thankful hey, that we met almost pleasure, twenty years man. ago. I, I love you. And and you got a nice snow when you got up here. We had a good one this time. I think we got about nine inches. So you know, it it, it welcomes you this winter time. Man, I took little man to go ride some sleds. Little man, he looked around. They had like a ticket booth. He went and stood in the ticket booth. He wouldn't even try. He wouldn't. He he, he said, "Oh, hey, ain't no ready ain't to go." Wrong. I said, look, "I don't blame me. I'm nice ready to go too." Tip, man, but it's cold. <laughs> it's cold. Well, man, I want to thank you for coming on the Beyond the Bounce podcast. If people want to get in touch with you, well, drop them some some info. How they well, may have some questions about that. Well, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, a Twitter account. They can always connect with with our South Shore International. Uh, Twitter account and we, we kind of go that route. If if you want to email me personally, it's L F A R R O W three at cps.edu. That's my working email right now. There you go, baby. Hey, they about to they may open back up. You gotta if you want to get in touch with them, get in touch with them now because he on a championship mission. And if you don't hear from him and you hit him, hey, he'll hit you after the season. Hey, man, thanks for coming on. And thanks again, everyone, for another episode of Beyond the Bounce. And we'll see you again next week. Thanks again.